Welcome to our continuing coverage of General Election 2018. We're here at Channel 17 Town Meeting Television with Don Turner and Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman. And we will take your questions for the race for a Lieutenant Governor, which is coming up on the 6th of November. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks, and, Lauren. Um, I failed to mention that you are a representative. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. So you're both presently serving in the legislature. And we're going to start with opening statements. We have some questions that we provided to the candidates, but we also are very happy to take any questions that you have at 862-3966. All right, David Zuckerman, please tell us why you're running and what qualifies you for the position of lieutenant governor. Well, sure. Thank you. Uh, first, it's been a pleasure and honor to serve for these past two years. I don't want to thank Vermonters for giving me that opportunity. Uh, I had served in the legislature for 14 years in the House and four years in the Senate, including serving on the Natural Resources and Energy Committee, the Education Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, and the Agriculture Committee at different times uh, in those arenas. So I've, I've worked in the legislature on a wide range of issues and really understand how the process works. As Lieutenant Governor, I've had the honor and privilege to preside over the Senate and have worked very hard to preside in that room, much like local town meetings, as the moderator, making sure that the process does not get in the way of good policymaking. You have to make sure that the process flows, that everybody's heard, that the different ideas are presented fairly, and it's been a real honor to do that. On top of that, I've worked to be basically an ambassador around the state for the process of democracy, reaching out to particularly young people, but rotaries as well, because right now we're in a challenging time with respect to uh, the sentiment people have with what's going on in Washington and to remind people how lucky we are in Vermont to really have uh, folks who are good from different perspectives that are cordial and respectful as we have been in this campaign and I hope to get two more years to do it again. Thank you very much. Don Turner, tell us why you're running. You have a minute and a half and sure. what experience you bring to the position. Sure. Um, so I'm Don Turner. I'm, a, I'm currently the town manager of the town of Milton. Uh, but I'm a fourth generation Vermonter, a uh, lifelong resident of Milton. I've been on the fire department for 36 years, uh, serving the last 14 years as fire chief. Um, but I also have served 13 years in the legislature, and the last seven years I've been the House Republican leader, a minority leader in the House. You know, Vermont is a great place. Uh, we all choose to live here, and I'm very um, grateful that I live here. But all too often I hear, and I've heard for the last three election cycles, that it's too expensive to live in Vermont. So even though it's a great state, we've got to make it more affordable. So I'm running uh, to bring some balance and collaboration to, the lead, to Montpelier. Uh, I want to focus on what it costs to live here. Uh, and I know that I can bring this to Montpelier with the experience that I have. Uh, and that's why I'm seeking the position of Lieutenant Governor. Can I just ask you a question that's sure. not on the list that comes to mind? Sure. Um, given that affordability is a concern, do you support, the, A, the governor's positions in this realm? and be how he's worked with the legislature. Yeah, I have supported the governor. Uh, I believe the governor uh, took a firm stance when he was elected, and he was he he ran and was elected on it cost too much to live here. He he refers to it as affordability. Um, I fully support that, and I've worked closely with him um, throughout the last two years uh, to sustain budget vetoes, uh, to work with him on ways to to make thing, make Vermont more affordable. So I do support the governor and I will work uh, closely with the governor should I be elected to this position. And David, where do you fall on this question of affordability? What does that mean to you, and is that a relevant issue in this case? In well, this it's, race? it's an absolutely relevant issue, and the reality is most people are struggling to pay their bills. But there's different ways to look at that equation from the role of government. One is sort of soundbite politics of no new taxes, or as happened with the budget last year when 
all that 14 Republicans voted for it the first time around. Uh, the governor vetoed the bill in order to put 30 or $50 for at one time into people's pockets by reducing their <coughs> property taxes. Uh, when I would argue raising minimum wage, which was another bill the governor vetoed, and my opponent helped sustain that veto as well, 50 cents an hour. 50 cents an hour would be $1,000 a year in the average Vermonter's pocket. So uh, if you work 40 hours a week, I think you'd be far better off affordability-wise with $1,000 more in your pocket if we had done that law than this one-time $30 or $50 property tax relief. So I think it's important when we hear these sound bites that, that feel good uh, to really look at what they mean fundamentally. Uh, the vast majority of Vermonters support raising the minimum wage. The vast majority of Vermonters support paid family leave. These are the family values issues that I think uh, are relevant to that affordability discussion. You know, and we, and we do, I do support raising the minimum wage, and I, three years ago I did support that. Uh, and everyone will get a 50 cent per hour raise this year if they are um, receiving minimum wage. So I believe that uh, we should have a minimum wage and that every Vermonter that is making minimum wage will get a raise. I just want to make sure factually, uh, I think this year it just goes back to a COLA. Okay. Which is not 50 cents. Well, it has been 50 cents. It has been, and what we now have is a COLA, so that where you're struggling now is where you will continue to struggle going forward. Your cost of living will go up and your wages will go up at the same rate. The idea behind the minimum wage discussion was, since working people have been falling farther and farther behind over the years, many of us feel that we should give a little bit more than COLA going forward. And I think that we should reduce the cost of living and the amount of money people are making will go further. If state government lives within its means, then Vermonters will have more money in their pockets and they will feel the benefit of lower cost of living. So David, are you bullish on the Vermont economy? What do you think about our economy and what do you think needs to be done to make a sustainable future for our children? Sure, uh, no doubt. It's a real struggle out there for a lot of folks. And I think one of the things that's important to talk about is context. Vermont's a rural state and rural counties in this country, whether they're red or blue, are struggling and we're right in that mix. We don't have the big city that many other rural states have to balance the economy the way that uh, they do. Burlington and Chittenden County are doing better, but most of Vermont, Southern Vermont, Northeast Kingdom are really struggling. I think where we have uh, real opportunity and why I am bullish on our future is that we are in close proximity to incredible markets to our South, Southern New England, New York, New Jersey. We could brand Vermont milk, and get a better price for our product for our dairy farmers. We could expand broadband into rural areas and people could have good paying jobs working with clients down in the southern New England area where you could meet with them every few weeks for a couple days but live in Vermont, raise your children in a safe environment with some of the best rural schools in the country. We've historically heard a lot of uh, beating up on our schools when in fact uh, we have better rural schools than most anywhere else in the country. And so I think if we sell what we have, good schools, safe clean environment, safe environment for our families, and the opportunity if we invest in broadband and in our rural uh, agricultural economy, I think we've got a very strong future ahead of us. Don, what's your view on the economic prospects of Vermont, and what do you, what's your approach to sustainable future? So, so I agree, I mean, Vermont, I think there's a bright future in Vermont, but, but if people keep leaving because they can't afford to live here, um, it makes it much more difficult. And you know, I, I believe that we need to expand the economic growth, and, and David, I think, touched on it, that. You know, Vermont is very different. I mean, there's 14 counties and they are very different. What's good here in Burlington doesn't necessarily work in Chelsea uh, or down in Dover or any other you know, remote rural place. So we've got we've to define our economy in a way that will work in different parts of the state. So I don't think that we can just sit in Montpelier and say this is the way it's going to be for everybody. 
because what's happening is, is Chittenden County, Greater Burlington is thriving. There's a lot of growth here, a lot of potential here, but we have to focus on regula regulatory reform in a way that doesn't stifle growth in other parts of the state. You know, I believe Act 250 is a, is a good law, but we are stifling growth because people are using it to hijack the process. You know, that doesn't work. We've got to create affordable housing all around the state, not just in one part of the state. You know, and we also have to have healthcare competition. We need affordable tuition, both on higher education, and we build, people have to be able to afford childcare, which is struggling. People are struggling to, to pay their childcare. So my approach is uh, that one, one bill doesn't work for the whole state. So we've got to start looking at different parts of the state and, look, and regulate them in that manner. Can you give an example of when the Act 250 process was hijacked? Sure. I can tell um, a good one that I'm sure mo many Vermonters are aware of it is the Walmart store in, in St. Albans. It took 20 years and, um, you know, the process, you know, it get to a certain point and then it would be stalled because there'd be opponents. And the, the whole reason it was being opposed was it was going to kill downtown St. Albans. Well, today I was in St. Albans. St. Albans is beautiful today. Because Walmart came and it allowed the economy in that area to grow, it creates traffic for the downtown stores. We're seeing a prosperous St. Albans as a result of that project, that development. Are there other reasons that St. Albans is prosperous? Well, I would say there's a number of reasons. There was a, a great effort at revitalizing the downtown with road and sidewalk work, with investing in the community businesses that are in that main drag, uh, and frankly, the proximity to Burlington. If you look at other communities that have had similar scenarios to a, just simply a Walmart being the savior of the day, that really hasn't occurred in some of the other communities around the state. Does Walmart help some people with low-cost uh, products? No doubt. But I don't think it's uh, really fair to say that Walmart is somehow what revitalized Franklin County. I would say a lot of investment. Senator Leahy deserves some credit for bringing a lot of uh, border jobs up into that region of the state as well. So I think it's, like most things, it's a combination of things. It's not always sort of a simplistic answer that, is, uh, that leads to these kinds of solutions or uh, strong communities. It's particularly the people of a community, uh, the small businesses of the community, and the partnership between local and state government and businesses and nonprofits that really revitalize a community. And, and you need traffic. If you don't have traffic, you're not going to grow that small downtown businesses. And I didn't intend or mean it to say that Walmart saved St. Albans. I just think it's been prospering as a result, uh, part of that. Um, I will give you another example. Uh, we have an a, a industrial park in Milton. Um, we had a, a, a project developer come in, wanted to build a, a truck sales facility. Uh, he came in and went through the town process. We're open for business. We have the capacity in water, sewer, and all that. Had the land. Uh, he's a, he goes through the whole permitting process, ready to get his permit. The neighbor says, I don't, like your, I don't like you next to my house. Appeals the permit. Takes him six more months. Where at the end, he finally had to buy the house because the only way he was going to get the landowner to stop appealing was to buy the house. He ended up buying the house to get the project through, which the town wanted. It was in the, it was in the regional plan. It was, it was a great project for our community and our tax base, and yet here's an example where the Pro Act 250 process didn't work. I mean, it, doesn't, it wasn't intended for that, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I just want to get back to this question about vital small centers, population centers, like the St. Albans. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've both traveled around this state. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, Don, you could say, I mean, if you don't have a Walmart in your town, yeah. I understand your point about the traffic, but what would you say to, you know, White River Junction, which is starting revitalization, or Springfield, or these places, 
you know, what advice would you give them having been in Franklin County and seeing yeah. what happened in St. Albans? You know, it's, it's a difficult question that you ask. I, I don't have all the answers, uh, but I have been to some really neat places around Vermont this, during this, this campaign. And Brattleboro is an example, I think, that, that's really moving forward. You know, with the closing of Vermont Yankee, uh, you know, a few years ago, I remember the legislature was very dire. What, what's going to happen to that part of the state when Vermont Yankee closes? And what's happened is th there's been an, uh, a, team, a partnership, I think, with lots of agencies, lots of state agencies, and I'm sure senators have, uh, have helped out. But they're working on, on ways to bring kids, tying businesses to kids earlier in school. Um, they're using uh, buildings that have been abandoned for incubator space. Um, so I think there is hope around the state, um, but we're gonna have to get creative and we're gonna have to use our tax dollars wisely, uh, invest in public partner, public private partnerships. That's what it's gonna take. And you see that uh, Wilmington, I was there. I never, I don't think I'd ever been to Wilmington before. And that's a neat little downtown. Uh, and it, it's just great to see those little downtowns, but I don't think there's one answer for all. I think what you gotta do is look at them uh, district by district by district, and then have a plan that's a regulation that's adaptable to maybe Brattleboro versus White River Junction versus St. Albans or even the Northeast Kingdom. When you're on the Connecticut River and you're competing with New Hampshire, it's much more difficult than, say, St. Albans. So I think we have to be very open to doing things differently in different parts of the state. Thank you. David? Well, I, I agree with a fair number of those points. However, uh, as a state law, you can't sort of cherry pick and have the law affect different people in different parts of the state differently. That's one of the both benefits and challenges of state laws. I think where we can have some more different and targeted efforts is in our economic development resources and use those in those various ways. And I think uh, Don talked about uh, the investment of the state and local community in Brattleboro and in other places. So that's pretty important. What I would say for a town that, that you mentioned, for instance, Springfield or White River Junction, those are exactly the communities I was talking about earlier with respect to if you had really good broadband, uh, look what's happening at White River Junction with innovative crea creative ideas, whether it's the Cartooning Institute there that's really brought some energy to that community. Uh, broadband jobs, if they're based in Springfield, if you've been to Springfield, beautiful old buildings from sort of the industrial age, uh, most of them are empty because they're brownfields. We need to invest in doing the studies to find out what would it cost to retrofit those buildings because the owners don't even want to go near it. Mm -hmm. Well, first, let's find out what the issues may be. Second, if we have resources to help with those brownfield cleanups, that would be an incredible place to live. You could you know, have shops on the first floor, uh, commercial centers or maker space on the second floor, and residences on the third or fourth floors. You'd add affordable housing, you'd rebuild a vibrant town, uh, and you'd be close to the, to the uh, interstates where again, you could meet with those, those clients and customers out of state and to the south. So I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity. And the last thing I would say is our schools, our rural schools are phenomenal relative to other schools around the country in rural areas. And we need to make sure that they stay open, that they thrive. And I know there's a lot of challenges around Act 46, but a lot of the law was created to help save money on the overhead side so that we can keep those schools open. And I would add that what I think we really need to dig into is not just writing on a piece of paper a line of what taxes should be or what ratios should be, because every unique town is different and that's up to the local school boards. But look at what's driving the cost of education and that's social services. And we do a lot of duplication of effort there between the Agency of Education and the Agency of Human Services. And I went to the governor and asked him about, can we work together to save that money, reduce duplication and create a better flow of service so that those kids and those families can do better? 
Can I just say one? I mean, I think uh, David's point, I was in Springfield last Wednesday and meeting with the Economic Development Authority. They love to do what David's saying. Unfortunately, the people are, are leaving. Um, so to try to, to refurbish those old buildings um, is going to be challenging. And a lot of them are brownfields. So it's going to take some work between the state and the federal government. But if we don't make it where people can afford to live here, we're not going to have opportunities to do those types of projects that David referred to. Can you talk about education? David, I think, laid out sure. his view of um, Vermont's education. You feel it's a good system. And um, with so perhaps you could clarify your position on public education. How do you think we're doing? And what? how would you address the affordability of public education? Sure. Um, I do. I think we have strong schools in Vermont. I do. Um, my concern is, though, that the way we fund schools today, it doesn't work for the students, doesn't work for the teachers and it's not working for the taxpayers. You know, we've, we see students today, the students are getting less and the taxpayers are paying more. We can't continue to do that. So we need to, you know, we need to do a better job spending our education dollars starting with kids younger and going maybe into higher education. We start doing that a little bit, but we spend 1.7 billion dollars on essentially K through 12. We need to spread that out more. That's my belief. Um, you mean up to college? Um, looking at how we spend, we spend very little on our higher education uh, institutions and students uh, in Vermont compared to other states. Um, but my concern is, is the outcomes that our students get, are getting for those high cost per student dollars, uh, it doesn't equate. I mean, we've got to do a better job. Like, for example? So, so kids, if you look at nationally, if you look at Vermont's ranking on student outcomes, yeah. It's, it's low to middle, middle to low in the pack. You mean like our Compared math to, scores? Yeah, scores okay. across the education. But, but our cost per pupil is very high, you know, like number one or number two, depending on which poll, you know, where, where you get the information. So how do we do a better job doing that and keep our schools? Because we all know our schools are the heart and souls of our communities. We, we know that. And we don't want to see schools closing. But we want to make sure students get good outcomes. That's what I want to do. So I want to can I just ask you sure. a question? Yeah. Why do you think a math score is a good outcome? Like, do, do you think that the outcomes we use for education should be examined? Well, I, I think yes. I, and the answer is yes. But I, I'm talking about the student, all, the, the whole student experience. And, the, you know, we can do test scores and all that, and they don't look well. But we've got, in the state, some schools that have five or six, maybe eight kids. You know, that's, that student is not getting the same experience that a, a student that may go to uh, Burlington or even Milton with the number of opportunities that are offered to those children. Those are the things that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to find ways in our education system for efficiencies. I think that we could keep more of these smaller schools open if we shared resources using technology. Have a teacher in one school, but be teaching students all around, maybe around the district. Um, those are things that I'm looking at. And the other thing is, is when students, when we have a small district and they're losing kids, we should have the agency of education go in and work with that school to determine how um, we're going to continue to move forward so the student has a great outcome, experience, and um, it's affordable. We can do a lot with technology, and I think for specialized programming we should do that. I don't think for the everyday classrooms we should move in that direction. We've had a lot of discussions in the legislature about school safety. The number one proven scenario for making schools safer is having connections between teachers and students so they can really see, 
face-to-face -face and watch as kids become more withdrawn or other issues that are happening in the school. So I don't want to over-rely on technology to have the kids in the five-room class, five-kid class, uh, not have a teacher in the room and have a screen talking to them. It would be uh, one of the things, if, if I may. Um, to me, uh, those schools, and I also have to point out some factual differences here. Uh, Vermont is in the middle of the pack when you compare Vermont to other schools all across the country with those metrics and those scores, whether people believe in them or not, that's where we are. But when you say we're not uh, doing better for the money, uh, that's actually inaccurate because rural communities cost more to educate. And we don't have the urban area that other states have that average out their cost per pupil scenario. So when you compare actually apples to apples, we are getting more for our money than most of those other rural communities and we're having better outcomes. So the idea of just simply saying, I'm gonna find efficiencies without being overly specific, uh, that means either cutting teachers, which most schools and most parents and most people in the community have said, don't do that. They vote for their budgets. We need to support the local communities who are voting for their schools, voting for their community centers, and keep those schools open. No, one thing I'd say is that we have some incredible independent schools and stuff around the state. I think that we have to focus a lot on school choice and that should be part of the discussion uh, as well as looking at how these independent schools are providing great experiences and outcomes for kids in Vermont. Thank you very much. Good evening. Do you have a question for our candidates for Lieutenant Governor? Hi, my name is John Seipel. I have a question for both of them. Um, I'm wondering what you want to do about uh, racism, racism in Vermont. Like, do you have any plans? Great. We have a question about it, dismantling institutional racism and how that could be done. That I think sure. might fit the question. So why don't we start with that, Don? Okay. So I think it's there's a lot of education that needs to happen around that. I did support a bill that we passed this year uh, on racism. Uh, I also have been working in my local community, Milton. As I said, I'm the town manager. Um, last year in Milton, there was there's some real issues in the school school district. Uh, so the school district uh, uh, worked together with uh, the Milton Inclusive Diversity Initiative, uh, a group, local group, uh, and they are, started offering, um, uh, a built a coalition, which I as a town manager, uh, police chief, librarian, and rec director took part in, because we know we need to educate. This is not a school problem, this is a community problem. So I worked with that committee uh, all last winter. Uh, we brought in uh, an educator to educate our staff and we will continue to do that on a regular basis going forward. Um, I am now meeting and we will continue meeting with the school, um, the uh, nonprofit and um, the town to go forward to start educating our community as a whole. So I think education is the first step and, and there's gonna be a long process. Well, a number of things. Uh, as Lieutenant Governor, we've already done a number of steps uh, from our movie series showing the movie 13th, which talks a lot about the 13th Amendment of the Constitution and how it moved slavery, you know, it ended slavery, but it also said you could basically have an indentured workforce in your prisons. And what have we done with our military, or it's not military, the, the prison industrial complex that we now have in this country? And we have an overpopulated incarceration rate, particularly of community of color in our state and also now exporting all the way to Mississippi, which is wrong. So we have issues of criminal injustice that need to be addressed. We have, as uh, Don mentioned, education is a huge piece, but if you actually really look at it, we need to survey our teachers and our administrators in our schools all across the state and work with them to improve the conditions in our schools because it really starts when we're young. And we have a very high rate of uh, detentions and suspensions disproportionate for the community of color. 
Uh, so we have to look at why is that happening? Why do we already have these built-in biases, whether it's in education, whether it's in law enforcement, and in each of ourselves? As, as white men, uh, we are privileged in our society. That's the bottom line. And uh, not all the same, but we have to be looking internally at what language we use, and we have to model appropriately as well. So it's everything from surveys and policies to individual actions that need to be addressed. Thank you. So we're, um, we have about six minutes left, so I'm going to let you both ask each other a question that you've just been dying to ask. Good. Go for it. That you may or may not have had an opportunity to do. It would be great to hear with questions that you have for each other. Well, actually, a, a number of different instances, and in your uh, campaign, you've made a point of talking about how the lieutenant governor has somehow been very partisan over the last couple of years, uh, with really very little evidence to back that up. The work I've done has been to really open the office, and we've welcomed a lot of people. Um, yet at the same time, you've been the minority leader who turned votes away from supporting bills in a partisan manner to support the governor, as opposed to the substance of the bills that people voted for unanimously. For instance, the budget with your can we do uh, a question and committee? not a speech? Sure. Yeah. So if you're gonna if you're gonna bring what you've been doing in the House into the lieutenant governor's office, how are you proposing that's going to be nonpartisan or less partisan when you've really shown tremendous partisanship in um, the last few years? Thank that's you. a great question. Um, so I've my entire life built partnerships and focused on issues. In my 30-plus years as a fire and rescue chief, you're faced with all kinds of things. The only way you do anything is to build partnerships. I've, in my time in the legislature in the last seven years as a leader, have built relationships all through that body. And I can continue to do that, and I will focus on the issue and, and not, not the party line. I have not, uh, in my role as the House Republican leader, um, it was my job to bring the caucus together and to focus on issues, the goals that they set, and so on. And I did that. I think I, uh, the team says that I've done okay, and I worked hard on that. But when you're in the position of uh, being presiding over the Senate, you focus on the issue, uh, build the team around that, and then preside and go forward. Question for David. David, um, our Democratic State Treasurer, Beth Pierce, has said that divesting the state pension from fossil fuels could be a disaster for Vermont. The nonpartisan economist at the legislative JFO said it could cost our pension fund $1.8 million in transaction costs, plus another $8 million annually if decreased performance. Question? Yep. Okay. Do you support the fiscally irresponsible move to, to divest our state pension, or do you stand with Democrat Treasurer Beth Pierce and the nonpartisan JFO in saying that divestment is too great a risk for our state employees and retirees? Well, I greatly uh, support Beth Pierce, by the way, for re-election. I think she's done a phenomenal job with our pensions across the board. Uh, I find it an interesting question when we had $30 million to put into pensions uh, that, again, you, you pushed against the budget on. But uh, I do support the discussion of divesting from fossil fuel companies. Uh, there have been actually many other studies that show, uh, and many investment firms and companies who have shown much greater return having divested over those last 10 years. Uh, more recently, there may have been a shift in the last year or two, because I had not heard that number, so that must be a more recent number, uh, with our president who has fully uh, gone whole hog for fossil fuels, and you've also received corporate contributions from fossil fuels. So I can see why that all fits together for you, but uh, we actually have to look at addressing climate change. We have to look at our individual actions, our state policies, how we can invest in our rural economy, uh, and how our pensions could be invested and make more money as well as moving away from supporting the fossil fuel industry. Uh, so I do support that conversation. So what's the 
best idea that you hadn't thought of that you heard on the campaign trail? Well, I've, I've heard from a number of people about affordable housing still being a great challenge. Uh, and obviously the legislature, uh, Don was a part of this, uh, moved forward the, the major housing bond issue. Uh, but I think there's still a tremendous shortcoming and shortfall in the resources to be put into affordable housing for Vermonters. So one piece is to, um, I can't remember the name of it, but basically to uh, offer 10 or even $20,000 to give folks a zero interest uh, loan that you pay back when you sell the house for perpetual affordability to help with the down payment to get people into homes. I would also add to that uh, policies we have in place that actually were implemented while I was in the legislature around uh, town centers and village centers and city centers that have reduced permitting for affordable housing. And we could expand that uh, to really encourage growth in our town centers and more affordable housing. Thank you. You've got a minute and a half okay. to tell no, us your best no. idea. Uh, I'll be short. Um, it's, it's in Brattleboro. It's a happening right now. One of the things I've been talking about on the campaign is the lack of students, uh, people going into the trades uh, for you know, plumbings, plumbers, electricians, and so on. Uh, I was very excited to hear in Brattleboro that uh, they have a program that's introducing kids uh, into the trades and, and the benefits of taking up a trade, uh, maybe beside going to college, uh, and they're, inter and they're uh, introducing them to employers at younger ages. So sixth, seventh, and eighth grade versus waiting till they get into high school. I think that's a great program. I'm very excited about that, and if I'm elected, I will be trying to bring that all around the state. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining us. Um, obviously, Vermont is a very intricate system, and there are many ways that we can help improve the well-being of the people in the state, and we have two gentlemen here who are intent on doing that. Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman is running for re-election, and Don Turner, who is um, a representative for Milton, Absolutely. the Milton manager, town manager. Um, and also is seeking election in that seat. And Murray Goima, who is a Liberty Union candidate who did not appear with us this evening, um, is also in the, on the ballot. You'll find them on the ballot. So don't forget to vote on November 6th and stay tuned here to Channel 17 for continuing coverage of general election 2018.